Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Life Church in Perry, Georgia. Hey everyone, Pastor Tim McLaughlin here. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. So excited to be with you. I just got back from a couple days in, up in uh, Douglasville, Georgia for the uh, District Council of the Assemblies of God. Man, we had a great time up there at Chapel Hill Church. The worship was phenomenal. The, the preaching of the Word was just amazing. And uh, got to conduct a little bit of business too. So it was good to fellowship with other ministers uh, throughout the state of Georgia, get to know people. And uh, I'm also excited to be studying with you today in, uh, in the book of Romans. Somebody said, uh, Pastor Tim, boy, you, you're really taking your time as you go through this study of the book of Romans. Well, as I told you before, an expository teaching is, is really breaking things down. And uh, so many times I think we, we just read the Word of God. We breeze right through things. We, just, we, we read without understanding what it is we're reading. We should study the Word of God. We should break down and understand words that we may not understand. We should read passages, uh, small chunks, and meditate on them instead of reading large portions that are just going over our head and that we don't really have an understanding for. Um, if, if I could compare it to anything, it's kind of like buying a new car. And, you know, the salesman's going to give you the, the, the two-minute walk around, but then when you break down, if you haven't really searched out for yourself and you don't know where the spare tire is or, or you don't know where to find the battery or, you know, things like that, uh, it, it leaves you in a bind. I remember several years ago, uh, my son was, you know, he was young and uh, uh, he might not have even graduated high school yet, or maybe he was in his freshman year of college. I think he was in his freshman year of college, and, and uh, he had had uh, our old Chevy Blazer that had been a hand-me-down. I drove it for probably three years, and then my wife drove it for two or three years, and then my daughter had it for two or three years, and then by the time he got it, um, and he was the one that, that you know, had rolled over 200,000 miles or whatever, but anyways, he was driving to uh, back to school, which was about a two and a half hour drive from our house. And he got a flat tire and it was pouring down rain. And he called me and he said, Dad, where, where's the, uh, the handle for the jack? So he knew where the spare tire was. He knew where the jack was because both of them were in the hatch and they were under this little flap. But he didn't know that in the, uh, the 2002 Chevy Blazer, they actually, the handle was under the back seat. And you had to fold the back seat down and it was in a groove right there. So he was soaking wet because he was trying to find that and uh, standing out in the rain and in the mud. I share that with you because it's important that we understand what we're reading. We understand what God's Word is saying to us so that we are not, uh, we're not confused. We're not easily um, caught up in the schemes or in the lies of others. You know, I, I hear people sometimes, I'll say, well, the Word of God says this, and they, they miss it altogether because they have not studied to show themselves approved, a workman that should not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, as the Apostle Paul told young Timothy. So, that's enough of that. Let's break this down. We are today going into Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. 
But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. So, as we go deeper into chapter 2 where we're going to see some things and and hopefully we'll maybe be able to pick up the pace a little bit now that we've gotten out of chapter 1 and the outline but but I want to still make sure that we're covering everything and making sure that everything is clear there is some discussion among many scholars many theologians uh, many that are much smarter than I regarding who the Apostle Paul is now transitioning his writing to yes the letter is still to Rome he has not changed who the letter is going to but I think he has changed uh, the persons uh, group that maybe he is writing this portion of the letter to Paul obviously in chapter 1 was writing to Gentile non-Jewish many Greek and many Roman believers but now as we go into chapter 2 Paul transitions and it may be that he is speaking to those that are Jews that are in Rome see the Jewish moralist are as guilty of practicing sin as were the Gentile believers what do I mean the, the, the Jews that were living in Rome, maybe they were taken there in captivity. Maybe they, they just went there on their own. But they had known uh, because obviously being Jews, being Hebrews, they had understood the prophets. They had understood um, that the Messiah was coming. Many would have probably been there on, on that day when Jesus was crucified. And maybe even when uh, he was risen from the grave and showed himself to to several hundred that were in the city and then maybe they were even there on the day of pentecost like many of the romans were and they had seen these things but the difference is that on the day of pentecost those that were of roman descent as well as many of those from other areas they may not have known they did not have the letters of the prophets they did not have the Pentateuch. They did not have the writings of Moses and the history that the Jews had. And so these Jews, they had an understanding of how to live for God. They had the Ten Commandments. They had the writings of Moses and the things that the prophets said that were going to take place and how they needed to live their life. But now they are in Rome. And they, they're sitting here and they're, they're seeing all these things that's going on. Maybe they're reading the letter that Paul is writing. And, and what's, what's so different, the main difference, is the degree of knowledge of which they possessed. The Jews versus the Gentiles. Paul refers to them as hypocrites. A hypocrite, if you go and you look at it, back... Uh, in the old times, back in, in biblical days, um, they would put on plays, they would put on dramas, they would put on these skits. 
and they didn't have a lot of actors. Uh, they didn't have Hollywood like we have today. So you would have different actors that would play multiple parts and what they would do is they would hold a, a uh, different face, a maybe a drawn face or a sculpted uh, face up in front of their own face as they played the different part. A hypocrite is somebody that would say, I, I believe this, but then they would get in front of other people and they would act a different way, almost holding that face up in front of them. That's hypocritical. And this is what the Jews were doing is the Jews would say, we, we are the children of God. We are the heirs of God. We are the people of promise of God. And yet now they're in Rome and they're doing as the Romans are doing. So again, Paul refers to them as a hypocrites because the Gentiles openly approved of the sin of others, but the moralist Jews tried to pronounce judgment and pretend to hate these sins. We need to look at this in our context and understand that fallen man can no more stop sinning than he can stop breathing. See, all God asked from you and I, all God asked from them then was to humbly accept the one who saves us from sin, and make him, Jesus Christ, Lord of our lives. He doesn't say that we need to pay penance. He doesn't say that we need to be perfect. He doesn't say that we need to do certain things or, or uh, constantly you know, go to church a certain number of times, which I'm not saying you shouldn't go to church. That would probably help many of us. But what he's saying is if we would make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives, if we would listen to the Holy Spirit, then we would not desire to sin. But what these Jewish moralists were doing is they were trying to live by works and deeds, yet judging the Gentiles for the sins that they were committing when the Jews were really doing the same thing. So let's, let's break this down. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves. For you who judge practice the same things. He says, therefore, you are inexcusable. The second class of people that Paul is speaking to consists of those who look down their noses at the heathen, considering themselves to be more civilized, more educated, and more refined than those uh, of the Gentile class, those who um, uh, are, are in Rome that are sinning. They condemn the pagan Gentiles for their gross behavior, yet they are equally guilty themselves, though perhaps in a more sophisticated way. <laughs> a more sophisticated. You know, um, I've seen people that are wealthy, they're well-to-do, they have good jobs, and yet their marriage is in shambles. They struggle with prescription drugs. They struggle with alcoholism. They struggle with pornography, and yet they look down their nose as if they are better than somebody that may be living on the street, under a bridge, in a tent community. And, and they, they look down their nose like those people are less than, yet maybe that person living in a tent or living under a bridge 
knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but because they don't have the money and the abilities that this other person, um, they are they are they are mocked and they are belittled. But yet the person living in the mansion that is strung out on prescription drugs or drinking alcohol or committing adultery against their spouse, they are in sin regardless of how they look. It's just they're more sophisticated. See, fallen man can see faults in others more readily than in himself. Um, somebody, I'm not saying that God created me to struggle with drugs and alcohol just so I could minister to drugs, drug addicts and alcoholics. That was never God's intention. Listen, you don't have to be a heroin addict to minister to heroin addicts. You just need to love God and love your neighbor. But because of where I've come from, I probably have a greater sense of passion for those that have struggled or are struggling with drugs and alcohol themselves. See, things that are hideous and repulsive in the lives of others seem quite respectable to those uh, in their own lives that, that, are, that are dealing with certain things. The, the, the fact is that um, somebody that's trying to live sophisticated, somebody that's trying to hide it, somebody that's playing the hypocrite, they can judge sins of others and... and, and they know the difference between right and wrong. They're just not living it. They're trying to judge what others are doing all the time that they're doing the same things, but because they know right from wrong, they, they try to justify their actions. If he knows that it's wrong for someone to steal his wife, then he knows that it's wrong for him to steal someone else's wife. Therefore, if someone commits the very sin that he condemns in others, he leaves himself without excuse. If you're condemning someone because of their alcohol use, but yet you go home and you have a bottle hidden up in the closet and only drink at home, you have no excuse when you stand before God. James chapter 2 verse 10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. If you want to try to point fingers at someone that is shooting up meth, but yet you're a closet alcoholic, your sin is just as bad as their sin. So, so quit trying to judge people. Quit trying to pick and choose what law or what commandment you want to follow. James 4.17 says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. If you know what to do, or I should say what not to do, and yet you do those things which you know not to do, you know that it's sin. It's, it, if you know to do the right thing and you choose not to do the right thing, that is sin. Regardless of your wealth, your stature, your nobility, or whatever else. Then Paul goes on in verses 2 through 3. He says, But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, that you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? See, God's judgment is made according to truth. 
It's made according to the facts of the case. It's made according to the reality of what you have done. It is made by God's standards. See, God's judgment is not based on incomplete, inaccurate, or circumstantial evidence. It is based on the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. God's word is truth. Also, the judgment of God is inescapable to those who condemn others for the very sins that they practice themselves, as we were talking earlier. Their capacity to judge others does not absolve them from the guilt. In fact, it increases their own condemnation. The hypocrite is indignant at other people's failures and indulgent at his own. Let me let me break this down for you. The hypocrite is indignant. Indignant, I'm sorry, indignant. In other words, the hypocrite feels or shows anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. But then it also says that he is indulgent. In other words, he 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 has a tendency to be very generous to or lenient with someone um, of his own kind. So the hypocrite will get annoyed with someone that he thinks is less than, in other words, the Gentile believer because they're not Jew, but yet they're indulgent of other Jews that are doing sin or even themselves because they are Jews. Note the similarities between what Paul said here and what Jesus said in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 6, verse 42, it says, Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. See, the, the rhetorical question is, Do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? But the answer is an emphatic no. No one is going to escape the judgment of God. Regardless of what church you go to, regardless of what big a house you live, regardless of, of how much money you gave to the church, sin is sin. And if you're living in it, you too will face the same judgment as the poor person in their sin. See, the judgment of God is inescapable unless we repent and are forgiven. Look at verse 4, Romans 2 verse 4. He says, Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? See, we discussed this earlier, but, but now also see that the judgment of God is sometimes delayed. See, this delay of the judgment of God is evidence of His goodness, His forbearance, and His long-suffering. Let's go back to the Old Testament and look what Nehemiah says. I, I love this. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17 says, They refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks and, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Listen, 
Nehemiah is saying, listen, they, they, you brought them out again. You brought them out of Egypt. You have brought them out of Babylon. Now we're in bondage again. They keep picking these leaders and going back into bondage. They, they, they don't see, they, they don't remember the works of your wondrous miracles. They don't remember how you opened and parted the Red Sea and walked them through. They don't remember how you fed them manna. They don't remember how you destroyed enemies and gave them the land. They continue to forget these things, but yet you are ready to pardon them. You are gracious and merciful and slow to anger. Nehemiah saying, God, you know, just like Moses said, he said, I, I just want to slap them, but you're so merciful. You're abundant in con, uh, kindness and you don't forsake your people. You allow them to get into bondage, but you, you delay the judgment, hoping that they will call out to you. This is why God does not immediately punish people for sinning. He's holding back his wrath so that people will have an opportunity to repent, to get it right. See, we need to take note of our own moral capacity and exercise this mercy, this kindness in our own lives. See, if we would learn to act towards others as God has acted towards us, this would enable us to see our great need for God and repentance when we also are not quick to judge others. This would help us to create within us a deep thankfulness to God. For He has chosen to love us despite of the inescapable reality that next to His holiness, we're, we're despicable people. See, verse 4 begins with the word, or. See, Paul goes from verse 3 to asking the question, do you think that you have a license to sin? Then he goes into verse 4 and he says, or will you reject the goodness and patience of God that leads to repentance? See, Paul uses three words in verse number 4 that we need to really take note of in this expository teaching. The first word that he uses is the word goodness. Goodness is the word, the Greek word kreston, which means loving kindness rather than usual rebuke and discipline. Goodness means loving kindness rather than rebuke and discipline. See, the goodness of God is seen in his providence, his protection, and his preservation. All of this is aimed at leading us to a place of repentance, not willing that any of us should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Then secondly, Paul uses the word forbearance. Forbearance is the Greek word anioke, which refers to the cessation of hostility, with a limit on giving opportunities for repentance. It's, it's, it's this word that we see that where, where God, even though he's angry at our sin, he's, he's, he's limiting, he's, he's governing, if I could say it that way, his anger in forbearance, giving opportunity for repentance. It's, it's like, here we go. It's almost like Ward Cleaver. Now, for some of you that are listening, you may not have a clue what I'm talking about, but for some of you, you're, you're my age or maybe older and you remember Leave It to Beaver. And I remember Ward Cleaver always knew what Wally and the Beef had done, but he always gave them opportunities to confess. I, 
I remember my dad when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, and my dad would sit me down and he would talk to me and he would give me these long talks about right and wrong and, you know, you shouldn't. And, and, and I was just like, Dad, just take off your belt and beat me. Just take a two by four and smack me. But these Ward Cleaver talks are driving me crazy. Listen. God is even more so than Ward Cleaver. He is patient. He is forbearing, wanting to give us opportunity to confess our faults and to repent. Then Paul uses the third word, which is long-suffering. Long-suffering is the Greek word mekathrima, or, or patience. My Greek is not all that good. Long-suffering is patience. God's kindness is always active in the pursuit of our repentance. Repentance means an about face. It means turning one's back on sin and heading in the opposite direction. Now, I'm not going to go off on a tangent for sake of time, but I've heard people that have talked about repentance as as simple as turning. But if you turn without renewing the mind, you're going to sin going the opposite direction. So not only is repentance an about face, But repentance is also about a changing of the mind, which produces a change of attitude, which then will result in a change of action. This signifies a man's taking sides with God, even against himself and against his sins. When you turn from your sins, turn your back on your sins, when you renew your mind to the things of God, then what happens is is you begin to take sides with God and you begin to look at your sinful man and that's the Holy Spirit inside of you saying that is, is, is wrong, that is sinful. Do not do those things. That is long-suffering. See, verses 4 and 5 set, set a sharp contrast Because it's Paul talking about repentance versus impotence. It's it's despising riches of his goodness and treasuring up wrath. And we're going to look at that. So Paul talks in verse 4 about how how we, we need to recognize these things. We need to turn from these because God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering wants us to repent. But look at what verse 5 says. He says, but according... But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of God, of judgment of God. Paul says, as God's goodness leads us to repentance, it is a constant activity. It's not one time. It's, it's God is constantly pursuing us, leading men to repentance. But the word impotent that Paul uses here in verse 5 is a Greek word, which means unrepentant. Impotent. It means unrepentant. This is the only place where we will see this word occur in the whole New Testament. It refers to treasuring, uh, uh, treasuring nothing, a treasuring uh, of, of a safekeeping, a treasuring in, in the fact of a storehouse. Uh, the, the word has a basic meaning of laying up and keeping things in a storage. So what are they storing up? They're storing up God's wrath. His wrath is the abhorrence of wrong. See, God's holiness and character requires that unrepentant and unforgiven sin must, must come under the judgment of his wrath. See, Paul paints a picture of a hardened and unrepentant sinner ceasing 
ceasing to turn. Instead, this, this, this hardened and unrepentant sinner is treasuring up judgment for themselves. They, they're building up a fort. They're, they're building up a fortune of wrath as if they were building up gold and silver. They, they are continuing to sin knowing that it's wrong, but they're storing this thing up. The, the fortune that they're storing up will, in one, one of these days, will lead God's wrath, and, and it will finally be revealed at the great white throne judgment. You think you're going to get away with it. You think that you can bury it. You think that you can keep living that way. But one of these days, you're going to store up, and, and God's wrath is going to be revealed. Look at what the Bible says in Revelations chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Revelations 20, verse 11 through 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from those from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And their dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and the death in Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged." each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found and written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, on that day, on the day of judgment of God will be seen to, to absolutely righteousness without prejudice or injustice of any kind because our God is a righteous God. See, when God judges us for a sin, he has, he has the, because He is so righteous and because He has given us His Word, there's nothing we can do to hide and no excuse we can do to escape it. Verse 6 says, Who will render to each one according to his deeds? Now, as we come to a close in this part of it, in the next five verses, Paul reminds us that the judgment of God will be according to one's deeds. A man may boast of great personal goodness. He may rely heavily on his racial or national origin. He may plead the fact that there are, there are men of God in his ancestry that were great people. He, but he will not be judged for those things. He will be judged for his own conduct. And not by, not by any other thing, not by his ancestors. I thank God that, that he said uh, there was a time in the Old Testament, he said, where the other generations, that your children and your children's children will be judged for your actions. Then when Jesus was crucified and buried, no longer am I judged for that of my ancestors, but I'm judged for my own conduct. See, my works, your works, a person's works will be the determining factor of what we're judged with. See, the, the, the principle of judgment is according to deeds. This refers to the justice of the judgment, not, not a divine provision of eternal life, but a, a judgment for the, the things which were done during salvation. See, this passage does not teach us that salvation is earned by good works. See, eternal life is not attained by, by uh, a patient continuing of well-doing, because that would be a violation of Scripture. Salvation and eternal life is by faith alone. Judgment is according to works. Salvation is according to faith. So how should we understand this passage in verse 6? First, we need to understand that the word good works 
do not begin until a person has been born again. The Bible says in John 6, 28, 29, then he said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. See, the first good work that anyone can do is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must constantly remember that faith is not a meritorious work by which a person earns salvation. If the unsaved are judged by their works, they will have nothing of value to present as evidence. All their supposed righteousness will be seen as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all like an unclean thing and all our unrighteousness are like filthy rags we all fade as a leaf and all our iniquities like the wind have taken us away see the condemning sin that people have committed will not be what they have done but the fact that they did not believe in jesus christ as lord john three eighteen says he who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned see beyond that their works will determine the degree of punishment be beyond their works be beyond their their sin their, their works will determine their degree of punishment luke chapter 12 verse 47 48 says in the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes but he who did not know yet committed these things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few for everyone to whom which is given from which from him much will be required and to him who much has been committed of him they will ask the more see if believers are judged according to their works what will be their outcome certainly they cannot present any good works by which they might earn or deserve salvation because all their works were before salvation or before their sinful life but the blood of, or, or during i should say their sinful life but the blood of jesus christ has wiped out all their past i thank god that the blood of jesus has wiped away my past and all my sinful works now God himself cannot find any charge against me or against anyone else who has made Jesus Lord of their life for which to sentence us to hell because we are under the blood no longer living and trying to operate according to those sinful deeds. Once we are saved and begin to practice good works, not necessarily good works in the world's eyes, but good works in God's eyes. See, it's not how much money we give. It's not, you know, all these things we're trying to do. It's just telling others about Jesus Christ. It's letting other people know that we're a watchman and trying to help them recognize sin themselves so that they would not practice these things. Our good works are the results of our salvation, not a meritorious call. See, at the judgment seat of Christ, our works will be reviewed and we will be rewarded for our faithful service to God. We must understand that this passage does not deal with believers only, but also with the ungodly. Now, there's so much more that we can unpack here, but we've already ran out of time. I'm actually five minutes over. So we will pick up with verse 7 next week and go further in our in-depth study to the book of Romans. But I want you to understand that take some time and read these things so that you will have a better understanding of what the Apostle Paul is saying and help us to, to make sure that we're not judging others, but that we're loving others.
Father, I pray that you bless each and every one that's listening to this podcast. And I pray that it's a blessing to them and that it's giving them ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive what your spirit is saying to them. Help us, Father God, to understand it's not by our works which are filthy, but it's by your righteousness and it's by your blood that we are saved. And we need to share that testimony, that gospel, that message, that love with others so that they too will come to a place of repentance. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Father, that you first loved us. And we give you praise for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If you're looking for a home church, we would love to have you. Visit us here at Life Church, 100 Todd Road in Perry, Georgia. God bless. This is-